o'clock. It is a day early, but Rebecca is busy tomorrow afternoon, so she's very kindly agreed to come in and plan B away this afternoon. Hello. Hi, John. How's Rebecca? I'm fine. I was just thinking about that voice note about um, Chester, about how he was probably the victim of prejudice. And of course, we know that he was the victim of prejudice from James Small, the late James Small. And I do hope, John, that everyone who is so adamant that one not speak ill of the dead in the case of James Small is applying that same principle to Robert Mugabe. Let's have some <laughs> consistency, shall we? Consistency, please. Ah, Claudia Motswining, I know some arrogant people. Um, I know some people who who seem not to think at all that they need to self-reflect and, and find some negatives in their self-reflection process. But Cloudy really is top of that pile, isn't he? He's fascinating, John, and I hate that I'm fascinated by him because I also wonder... Is there anything there to justify my fascination? And there's also, you know, he's now in, fr- he's in the news at the moment because he's in front of the Zondo Commission this week. But when he gets off that stand and shuffles off, shall we agree as a country that that's it? That we're done with Claudio Motsuneng? Please, I ask you, let's, let's swear a pact. He was eviscerated in the elections. His political party has come to nothing. Let's put Claudio to bed. But until we do, let's just talk about him a little bit longer. Because my God, John, what is, you know, this man is just, he's something, there's something so very strange about him. And, the, you know, the story I come back to is that is the one told by the former CEO Lulama Mokobo last week when she was be- appearing before the Zondo Commission. And she told the story about how it was her second week there or so. Cloudy grabs her, says, we're going on the secret mission. Hush, hush. Takes her to the Gupta house. And um, the whole way there she claims she doesn't know where she's going. And Judge Raymond Zondo's main question is, why would you agree to do this? You know, you're technically this guy's boss. You're ahead of Cloudy in the organization. Why would you just go with him on a work day? And she said, well, it was it was how Cloudy was viewed in the SABC. You have to understand there was this outpouring of adoration towards Cloudy. There was this wide consensus that Cloudy Motoneng was such a talented man in that position of acting COO. That is why he deserved you know, the salary raises, which were signed off by the board, not just by one person, that there was really the sense that Cloudy was an exceptional and talented individual. And then, you, you know, you see him testifying at the Zondo Commission. And first of all, he's so short. He's really a very well, I mean, tiny man. Come on. I'm not saying that that's hugely relevant, but there is a sense that, you know, if he wasn't possessed of this strangely magnetic quality that he could be seen as like this ridiculous insignificant character yet there clearly is something about the figure of this man that manages to really command people and it certainly doesn't come through in what he says which is often nonsensical i mean he was talking about he was lying today on the stand and yesterday he was really definitely lying contradicting things that other people in the sabc have said but i'm also concerned about our response to him as a country and i get it but there was this you know people were Cracking up at Claudio Motsuneng on the stand. Cracking up saying this guy is so ridiculous, etc. And then I remember, again, what Lulama Mokobo, the former CEO, said last week. That she eventually left her position because she thought these people could kill me. And she meant Motsuneng and the former SABC board chair, Ellen Chavalala. And we know in the case of the SABC 8 that they were persecuted to the point of, in one case, losing their lives by, if not Claudio Motsuneng himself, his henchmen. So again, this, you know, it's such a strange South African story. This man who on the one hand seems a buffoon, but on the other hand, 
commands this following, commands this presence. I'm taking you up on your agreement. I'm not speaking about him again. We'll leave it there and hope that the SIU successfully goes after him for the 24 million rand that they want back from him for irregular contracts for which he's personally responsible. And I love it. I love it when these bad guys get hit in their pocket. I mean, reading today, I mentioned it yesterday. It was on News 24. And now um, uh, Business Day has also had a look at the court papers. Jacob Zuma must pay 7.3 million rand or lose in Kandler. I mean, his bond required him to pay 70,000 rand a month. He's over 800,000 rand in arrears. That's right. And the liquidators are saying, and he, we, you know, he has we to like borrow money to buy clothing now. Takes him back to the days of Shabir Sheikh when, and apparently when his, his only, clothes were bought for him. His only defense is likely to be that VBS were reckless in lending him money. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a humiliating defense to have to mount. You were dumb to lend me money. Now try get it back. And uh, on to Brexit, which I am completely and absolutely fascinated by the ins and outs of it and understanding hard borders and soft borders. Really and, but yeah, I really am. Boris's proposal to, to build a bridge between Northern Ireland and Scotland in order to get round some of the stuff. It's, it's just so much energy being put into something that I really don't understand why mm. the leavers want to leave. I really don't. But anyway. For me, the most fascinating has been this week, seeing the British House of Commons normally, it's not stayed exactly because there's often heckling, you know, in the British Parliament. But seeing MPs in a state of protest this week was really rather fascinating, particularly from a South African perspective, where we often think we have the monopoly on, you know, an unruly parliament on protesting MPs. And then you saw in the British Parliament this week, you know, MPs lying across the speaker, John Verker, to try and prevent him from leaving. I thought, my God, imagine... Tandy Modisa, imagine Balega <laughs> sitting there and a DAMP throwing themselves physically onto these women's lap to stop them leaving. But also the singing, John. So part of the I protest. I missed that. Part of the protest in the House of Commons were that MPs were singing. They were asked not to sing. It's very un, 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 unparliamentary, but they did. And my question was, what would they have sung? Because, you know, the ANC, a lot of predominantly black political parties in this country are fortunate enough to be able to draw from this groundswell of struggle songs from apartheid. What would British MPs sing? Let me tell you. The Welsh MPs sung a Welsh hymn called Calon Lan. So they went the hymn route. The Stereotype anyone. (laughs) The Scots, the Scottish National Party MPs seem to have veered between... um, a musical rendition of a poem by Robert Burns called Scots Wahai, which includes pretty hectic lines, lay the proud usurpers low, tyrants fall in every foe. So they switch between that one and Ode to Joy. You know, the Beethoven... Freude, that one. That one, in yeah. English. I mean, there are some yeah. English words in certain renditions. And then the Labour MPs rounded off the night, I think early in the morning, by singing the Red Flag, ah. 19th century socialist anthem, raise the scarlet standard high, beneath its folds we'll live and die, talk of traitors and death. I mean, has England ever been so gripped with this kind of, you know, high-stakes political language? It's quite something. And I always learn something from you, and today I have learnt a new word, a new phobia, trypophobia. Until you communicated with me earlier, I did not know that there was such a thing as trypophobia, nor did I, well, not knowing that the, the phobia existed, obviously I didn't know that trypophobia is the fear of tiny holes, and the link between that mm. and the new iPhones is... 
The new the iPhone 11 has two camera lenses on the back, and the iPhone Pro has three, and they are clustered together. So trypophobia is not just the fear of tiny holes. It is the fear of also clusters of small bumps or objects. Honeycomb is the thing of which most most trypophobics are phobic about. Honeycomb. Honeycomb, an aerobar even, the inside of that. Coral, if you can imagine that. Clusters of soap bubbles. This is amazingly common, John. As many as 15% of the general population. I guarantee you you are about to get deluged with phone calls and voice notes from listeners who say they are trypophobic, that the sight of The trypophobic small, amongst you, please, small, please do communicate with me. tiny holes or clusters of things together make you feel really uncomfortable. Let the switchboard light up. And, and, and you know, do you, do you yes. personally know trypophobics? I do. And, fact, and my, I mean, my, the thing about phobia is that if you don't suffer from it, you almost always think it's ridiculous and funny, yeah, except if you suffer from it. I you, certainly don't get it, but my wife suffers from it. Really? And Haji, yes, she, what freaks her out? She, I sent her that article about the iPhone and she couldn't look at it. And she says she believes it is cellular memory because our ancestors, as a quote, saw that on people. So, so collections of little bumps and knew it was an illness or like something wrong and gross. <laughs> so it's a defense mechanism she believes built up over the, the wow. years. So when you see those bumps, little holes, you know something is very wrong. Get out. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Trypophobics, you, I want to hear from you, please.